0: Today we celebrate the fifth anniversary as a church. anniversary, birthday, anniversary. one of one of the two or both maybe. And we've always had some original oak people, those who are around when we, you know, as Mark mentioned, when we sought the Lord to better understand what our calling in this place might entail. Uh, Mark didn't quite get to the the stories um, uh, after. Um, some of those those meetings when we started to meet over here and started to brainstorm and pray and, and read scripture together and put sticky notes up on walls uh, for a long time. Um, we have some of those people back though. Um, we have some from as far as Chicagoland, which is great. The Tiners, Adam and Stacia Tiner, are here. Talk to them. They're wonderful people, and they have their two kids, uh, RJ. Um, and what's your daughter's name? I'm so Clara. I just met Clara yesterday for the first time. Clara, like two of my kids, did not exist uh, at the beginning of Oak Church. So Oak Church also brings about uh, much fruitfulness, right? Um, but when you've drawn your name from a passage in the Bible, which Gary will read in a second from Isaiah 61. Uh, that says that you are oaks of righteousness, anniversaries are more like tracing rings on a tree. Like looking back and putting your fingers, there's even wood grain on the plate that that the gathering church gave us. And looking back on this wood grain and tracing God's faithfulness and God's presence. And the the amazing thing, if you've ever seen a, a big tree split open, is you can see the years where there was drought You can see the years where there was abundance. You can see when that lightning struck or there was that fire nearby. You can see all these things by tracing the patterns um, in the wood grain. And so (coughs) I I think today is like where we got another ring, right, as a church. Just, we're still a pretty small. Kind of vulnerable, little little tree, trying to grow into a big oak, right? But al- always trying to keep this measure of risk and vulnerability, and remembering what it feels like. So I want to return to our source text, to Isaiah 61. Gary, come on up, um, and I want to I want to look at it again to see what started us on this work. Um, this Catholic theologian, uh, Pierre. Uh, Tehard de Chardin calls this work trusting in the slow work of God. Um, I I think that's what we started um, five years ago. That's what we're continuing in is the slow work of God. So, Gary, Isaiah 61 for us, please.
1: The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew, renew, excuse me, they will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Foreigners will stay and shepherd your sheep, and strangers will be your farmer and vine dressers. You will be called the priests of the Lord, ministers of our God, they will say about you. You will feed on the wealth of nations and fatten yourself on their riches. Instead of shame, their portion will be double. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the people. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom in a priestly ground, and like a bride adorned in jewelry, as the earth puts out its growth and as a garden grows its seeds. So the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks, Gary. Mm-hmm. So we met together starting, I think, in about mm, May of 2014, and and we're doing all these exercises to try to generate our mission and our vision and our purpose. Uh, which are all helpful things, but we were having a very hard time doing this. Um, uh, Not just because we're disagreeable people, (laughs) hopefully, um, but because it just wasn't animating um, this next season in our life to talk about something as broad and general as loving God, loving each other, loving the world, or... Um, words like worship, community, and mission. Those are all good things, and those are exactly the things that we're doing. Um, We really made great headway, though, when we opened up the Bible and we found, or Isaiah 61 found us, uh, because these words were so exciting. They were so... um, Telling to what we were looking around, seeing it's it's hard to imagine because so many people come to Lakewood now to eat and to play because it's a really fun place. And, but even just five years ago, the the best cup of coffee that you could get in the neighborhood was at the YMCA ping pong table, right? That was about it. And there were no churros, uh, there were no biscuits. Uh, there was you could get some awesome tamales that you can't get now, but. Um, we, we were looking around at this place and, and, and seeing and feeling the pull of this prophetic message, which, which also happened to be, I think, one of Jesus' favorite passages. It, it, after all, was the way he broke in his preaching chops by declaring good news to the poor and binding up the brokenhearted, et cetera. So we, we really sunk our teeth into this chapter, and it's been important for us ever since, and it will be important for us going forward. We we needed a way, in, uh, uh, one of my favorite author says, we needed a way of reimagining what it means to be a community of believers gathered and rooted in a particular place at a particular time. And Isaiah 61, written several millennia ago, seemed to do that for us. And it still gets me riled up. When Gary was reading, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that, right? This way of of imagining is really exciting. At least it's exciting to me. Um, But it's also really slow. And so even though we're five years in, and that time seems in some ways really fast and in other ways really slow, um, it, it, it to us has always kind of been worth it to go in that way and at that pace. In fact, we did this um, uh, com- like a collaborative liturgical art project a few years ago that yielded this beautiful communion table and this pottery and even this tablecloth. And on the tablecloth, uh, we passed around a potluck and had everyone add some stitches in it. That's why the stitches are purposefully irregular and crisscrossing for our ordinary time in which we are growing together in irregular and sometimes exciting and sometimes not exciting ways. And someone stitched this spiral on the communion cloth. You can see this when you come up. And that um, s- someone noted that, that that should be like the Oak Church mascot, the liturgical snail of Oak Church, right? So it, it's slow good work. But as we read this passage, it's all it's all still there. It's all there. The spirit of the Lord is anointing us. The spirit of the Lord is sending us like Christ, with Christ, in Christ. This is what happened, this is what is still happening. The spirit of the Lord is setting us apart within, like making us holy people but also setting this place apart, making this a holy place. Our task is to just discover and to develop both of those things which are already true because of God's presence. We've we've been talking about that a lot this month because God is here. This place is holy. There are no unsacred places or just sacred places and desecrated places because God is here. And from there, um, you know, we're, we'll, from here, where we're talking about holy places, we'll shift soon, October's almost over, um, into a short season that we're going to talk about holy people. Uh, and we've been doing this a little bit. Like when we read Paul's letters, and, and Paul writes these lofty things to the saints at Philippi, to the saints here and there, uh, imagine yourself as being a recipient of that address to the saints in Durham, to the saints in North Carolina, to the saints in Lakewood, to the saints in Chicagoland, to the saints in Brooklyn. Like, you are a holy person because God calls you that. God makes you that. In Christ, you are that. You are filled as a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where God dwells. And so we'll celebrate these holy people after moving out of this holy place, um, especially as we celebrate All Saints Day, which is this coming... Uh, this coming week, and we'll we'll start by talking about Saint Anne Atwater. Don't go l- looking that up. She's not like a canonized saint. Um, I think Jesus makes saints, not the church, right? But um, even the essays are helpful. But we'll start, even though Anne doesn't show up on like the the rolls of official canonized saints. We'll start because Anne was a holy one in Durham for sure, right? Jonathan will talk about how the Spirit of the Lord was upon his mentor, how God's Spirit anointed her and sent her. Part of that anointing and part of that sending as a, a black woman in the 60s and 70s in the South was to befriend a Klansman, CP Ellis, and to work for school reform and integration, right? That, that was the movie, that was the story. Um, so beware, you're calling. You're you're being set apart. You're sending might be to make friends with an enemy, right? And and that's what Anne's life will show us. And I can't wait to share uh, some of that with Jonathan. This same spirit still calls and sends us too. Calls and sends us to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, liberation to prisoners, and to proclaim jubilee. That's the year of the Lord's good favor, jubilee. The release of debts. Release is kind of the word that keeps getting uh, used here. It's it's freedom from the, the slavery of all these things that press upon us. This is it. This is all. This is hope and healing and hospitality and all those things that we always say around here in like the biggest, most unwieldy nutshell that you could imagine, right? Release, release, release. These are community behaviors too because they'd be way too big for each of us to do on our own. To, if you're hearing, go out of here and figure out a way that you personally can participate in this gospel of, of uh, to the poor, release the prisoners, binding out the broken, that you have to do that by yourself, you've gotten me wrong here, because these are community activities, because they're way too big for one person. They're way too much for each of us. But also because they come from and they end in community. Poverty, brokenheartedness, all these things, captivity, indebtedness, these are all community breakdowns that God is trying to heal in Christ through us. And so are like loneliness and pride and white supremacy and lust. And you get the, the gist of why the Apostle Paul always includes these vice lists and no one gets off the hook, right? Everyone uh, is experiencing one of these community breakdowns or sometimes the axis of several of them, right? For them, though, to be subverted, it's going to require a community. It's going to, even just a small community in this place. It's going to require uh, and it's going to yield victories, even small and temporary incomplete victories. Every time someone is released from something that is, has them in bondage is a victory. E- even if that victory is not permanent or final. It is a victory that participates in the victory that Jesus has won for us by the cross and the resurrection. All of these areas also are going to look like some sort of reintegration into community. It's a reintegration of the community, and it's coming back to the community. If you read in the gospel stories, every time someone gets healed, it means that their body is well, but it also means that they're able to participate in community life once again. So that is what we're doing here. When, when we're enacting this, when we're living into this Isaiah 61 vision, we're doing it as a community, but we're also as a community welcoming others to join into this community. Our, our family Mustard Seed group is reading Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer right now. And the first chapter is the spiral of ideas and it's written from imprisoned isolation in this um, Nazi death camp. And he's writing, isolated about what it means to be community and what community is. And we were talking and, and several of us were saying, you know, he'll have this big thought and you'll, you'll write in the margins, what does this mean? And then the next sentence will be, this is what this means, you know, th- which is really helpful if you ever write a book. Um, but bon- for Bonhoeffer, community isn't just, and I think this is helpful for us. Bonhoeffer uh, says that community isn't just a group of friends. So often that's what we want, that's what we expect. That's In some seasons, that's what we need is a group of friends who look like us, who think like us, or otherwise who can like compliment us in such a way to f- make up for our lacks. But Bonhoeffer says that's not really what community is. Not even your best idea of what community is or could be, that's not community either. He calls these wish dreams. And instead of a seed for community, they're, they're basically poison, right? Uh, I kind of like try to transport myself back to that room when we were putting all those post-it notes on the walls and try, try to discern like, did we cha- how many wish dreams did we chase? And how much poison do we have to root out even five years later, right? Um, but for Bonhoeffer, community is simply just people in proximity. There's some some caveat on that, right? Community is people in proximity, but not just like you, you don't automatically have community like with your neighbors or, or the people that you work with or anything. Community is people in proximity. First, that proximity is to Jesus and then to each other through Jesus. We never encounter someone except through Jesus, the truly human one. So then every human we encounter is we see them in some way in Christ. That opens up these amazing possibilities. For him, the goal of Christian community is to meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. To meet one another as a bringer of the message of salvation. Salvation looks like good news and binding up and freedom and forgiveness and comfort and stability and recognizing and bringing out something in someone that they don't even know is possible for them. This happens in small ways, and, and each of you have done this in this community and, and going from this community, maybe in ways that you don't even realize. That's the that's cool thing of what it means to grow in Christ, is even your instincts can be transformed. Uh, something that you look back on and you say, I don't know where that came from, but now I'm, I'm, I'm acting more like Christ, and I have this mind of Christ is what Philippians calls it. So I'm thinking more like Christ, and that's coming from outside of me, but it's working through me. When we started another really exciting part of Isaiah 61 was that rebuild, restore, renew section, kind of, kind of in the middle there. And dear friends, it's been really fun to see renovation happening in our midst, um, like, our education halls used to be Pepto-Bismol pink, and now they're not. So n- not all renovation is, is good, but not all renovation is bad either, I assure you. You can hardly, like we, we sit out on the front porch on Wednesdays for morning prayer, and we can hardly get through it without the like, buzz of power tools, because there is literally so much renovation happening in this neighborhood. There are contractor trucks driving by constantly. Admittedly, some of these are like foreboding signs for many of our neighbors because they mean higher rents, they mean new neighbors that don't look like them, who have a lot more disposable income than them. But these changes probably aren't going to come to an end anytime real soon. But I think there are also some really encouraging signs, some that y'all have been a part of. Things as small as the ever beautifying alleyway that we hosted Liz Weiss in the other night. In I don't think she knew when she accepted the invitation that we were gonna have her play in an alleyway. Um, And several of the people that I invited to this concert were like, oh yeah? (laughs) Have you hired security, right? And that was probably needed a few years ago, right? But every day that thing gets more beautiful because they're, they're painting and because El Futuro has this imagination that their work of healing, they operate mostly in mental health to the Latino community, their, their imagination for healing and for changing the future, their name, El Futuro, is spilling out in tangible ways, in like aesthetic ways that you can see. and That is so inspiring. And, and we're, in some small way, a part of that. We're joining in that work and doing some of that same work alongside of them. And that's, that's rebuilding. That's renewing. That's, that's restoring. Or things like yesterday at the block party, I took a walk on the grounds with the tiners, and they were part of the tilling of the garden, but they had never seen the fruit of the garden. This is this is a, a really cool. Um, someone should have wrote scripture about that or something, right? Uh, and and they, you know, they they were really. Uh, had like the critical eye on the, the raised bed boxes because uh, Adam helped organize a, a Duke MBA student work day during camp out. So we had like a couple dozen semi-hungover grad students using power tools on church property. Um, and they still stand. And they are still generating fruitfulness and flourishing um, on the grounds. Like, and, and, and to see their amazement at um, the things that God is bringing about, Uh, Just the fidelity and the trust that it takes to break ground and to sow seed and and then to see that come up uh, season after season. There are also more subtle and hard um, to quantify or to count sorts of renovations, like the renovations of people in this place. When people are in a season of renovation, there's often a lot of mess, but there's not like sawdust, right? Um, I honestly don't think that I knew what the word healing would mean for us as a community. That that seemed like a nice thing. I was kind of nervous um, that of what people would expect if you advertise healing. Um, we're not that kind of church. But, uh, but I, I do think God has created space for immense amounts of healing in this place in ways that I, I, I wouldn't have anticipated, in ways that, that I didn't see coming. And some of that just comes from, like, making and holding space in this place that can make room for incredible healing and again it's not a trick it's not a technique it's god working in this place i think gathering rhythmically around these tables around this table when we even started preaching down here because this is like the center of gravity for our community and then that center of gravity shifts downstairs to those those plastic foldable tables uh, in which we we break bread and share in fellowship that only Christ can make possible by the Spirit. And then it it's so unwieldy because it then goes out into all the other tables and spaces of our lives. These skills that we're learning to be together and these skills that we're learning to have our eyes open to Christ's presence and our hearts burning within us when God is in our midst. These these are restorations of people. This is not a gutting or a flipping of Places are people, but restoring to and beyond former glory, opening up possibility, inhabiting places once deserted. Again, the primary actor in all this is God. It's the God who inhabits, the God who dwells among us, not hovers like 100 feet above us and, and, and pokes at us with a stick because he doesn't want to get in the fray, but it's a God who has never left but wants more space, from us in which to dwell, wants us to make more room in our hearts and our lives, more room on our counters, more room to receive the stranger, our neighbor, because that's exactly where and in whom God shows up. God is our primary neighbor. Every neighbor that we meet is a chance encounter with God. And then this goes right into the stranger section of of Isaiah 61. And that's, that's always been a really interesting portion of our guiding scripture. That is such a dangerous part of our guiding scri- scripture. The part I'm talking about is that you'll have um, foreigners tending your sheep and strangers guiding your flocks and, and uh, uh, tending to your vines. This is like the sort of fine print that you don't really know that you're signing on to. Um, but it thrives off this expectation that God will continue to meet us in and through others. Even, you're going to rely on people that you don't even know yet. That most of you were strangers to me just three years ago, let alone five years ago. Heck, from what we did like one year ago. And now my flourishing is bound up in yours. And that, that's the same for each of us. That our church community, which meets in this building at like an absurdly dangerous intersection um, for how small and slow it is. Like, it's really dangerous. Um, because we're out of five points, our well-being, our flourishing is also bound up with the strangers that spoke out in each of those five directions in the cluster of neighborhoods around us. Like, that's what, that's what this means uh, to embody this text. It means that our story is knit into the story of those strangers and those people of peace who we partner with, who stay and shepherd and farm and are part of this slow work of vine dressing with us. In some sense, it predicted, I think, how many people who would be with us for short seasons to talk about strangers being important to our, quote, mission, people we we come into contact because they, they come to school and then leave, and the joy and the sorrow that that would create. Meg was really brave up here, but like <laughs> when, the sp- when the spring ends and people leave, either for the summer or permanently, like Meg and Katie and I freak out, like especially the first couple of years we're like, it's over. It's done. Like, we're shuddering. We, we don't have friends, and we don't have help. Like, it is over. And then, over the course of the summer, and this is faithful. This is like set o'clock faithful. This is the sun rising fidelity. God sends us people throughout the summer. And by the end of the summer, we reassemble some of the people that come back and some of the people who have just come. And God puts it all back together, and we have these new co-laborers. And sometimes we even get some co-laborers back, which is really cool. Um, and, and these friends join us um, in this work that is ongoing and continuing. And we also have some friends that, that, that leave that we send who are still joining us in this co-labor through things like prayer and generosity and other things. Like We, we have such an amazing footprint because of the work that God is doing. It also calls us to continue to organize and to expect the next person who comes to be vital to our joy and our health. Like, that's even for maybe some of our visitors today, no pressure, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that we lack anything right now, but it, it does mean that we're less without that next person, and we're, that we're less without you. Later in Isaiah 61 is a statement, all who see them will recognize that they are people blessed by the Lord. In my reading of this prophetic vision, there's not a very dark line drawn between the us and the they on that. The they are just, like, the people being called into the blessing and presence of God. So, like, next week, the they, like, those people seeing will be part of the people being seen. Like, it, it, it's, it's that... Fast of a change. God is forming a bunch of strangers into a community of sisters and brothers who know and love each other because of the love and unity of the Spirit, because of our big brother Jesus and our loving God the Father who sees and knows all of us and each of us. For the last five years and for the foreseeable future, the plan, quote unquote, (laughs) is to continue in this vision of Isaiah 61 to continue to enact it in this place, to continue to cultivate ordinary hope and healing and hospitality in these familiar places. And sometimes when something is so familiar, you have to dig even deeper to make them a little bit unfamiliar so that you can pick them back up again. This requires us to pray, to listen, to see, to hear, to ask questions, and to be brave enough to listen to the answers that might be new or surprising to us also means we need to stay in this place in which God dwells for long enough to not only see the outlines of how God dwells here, but to see the textures and the shading and the contours that are really happening there, to look closer. A few weeks ago on fall break, my parents took Noah and Titus, I think there's a picture, to Washington, D.C. on this epic grandparent train trip. And when they returned, they rolled out this string of photographs, Um, and and told us all about everything they experienced. And throughout the photo stream were all these close-ups that looked like mistakes. And I, like, didn't um, share them from Nana's phone onto my phone. And Noah (laughs) yelled at me and looked at me quizzically, because, of course, they weren't mistakes. They were textures that she had taken. And as strange and as sweet and as funny as this was at the time I realized that I do the same thing. That, that image, um, holy here, was from my camera from like four years ago on the side of the bakery before it got painted like two times over, right? <laughs> so she comes by it honestly. <laughs> but she, no one knew, and she's almost eight, but she knew that she was gonna need these pictures. She was gonna need to remember What it looked like up close, not just what it looked like standing back from MLK Monument or Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial. For richness and for accuracy and for remembrance and for participation, she knew that she had to know again what it was like to be there, how it felt. She needed to be able to see the veining in the marble or, like, the great detail, <laughs> or, or how that, that tree looked, right? She had to turn her perception to, like, high sensitivity. And she had to document it. So often, we're so bombarded with information or responsibilities or people or hardships or work or, like, you name it, that we turn our sensitivities way down so just so that we can make it that we can handle it all, that we can check everything off our list. But perhaps our calling is just still just to be in this place, to, to be all in this place with our sensitivity turned way up. And I don't just mean that you get your feelings hurt really easily, right? I, I, I mean that, that your senses are enlivened, that your eyes are tuned to textures because the kingdom of God is at hand. That feels like, like, at hand, like at a hand's length. That it's here. That you can touch it. That God is near. That God is here. That by the Spirit Jesus is working in this place. That Jesus is working in and through, and sometimes even in spite of you and I. It means that God's movement, and God's work, and God's presence is so local and mundane and ordinary that it borders almost on, like, so familiar that it is indecipherable, that we don't even see it anymore. Unless we bend our ears and commit to continually opening up our eyes and our hearts. This week, Anna sent me a poem called A Prayer to Be Still and Know by Nicole Brown, and this is where we're going to end. And uh, I'll read the first part and then the very end of it, and then you can go look it up on your own, I read it like 20 times. She says, Lord, let my ears go secret agent, each a microphone so hot it picks up things silent, reverberating even the hum of stone close to its eager silver grill. Let my ears forget years trained to human chatter wired into every room, even those empty except of me, each broadcast and jingle tricking me into being less lonely than I am. Let my ears forget the clack and rumble, our tambourining and fireworking distractions, our roar of applause. Let my hands quit their clapping and rest in a new kind of prayer, one that doesn't ask but listens, palms up on my lap. And then she goes on and she concludes with, hear me, please. I just want to be still enough to hear. Right here, Lord, I want to be. Can you pray with me? Lord, I'm going to pray the prayer that I closed with five years ago. I pray that Oak Church be a school for each of us to teach and to learn from each other the ordinary hope of Jesus. That God's Spirit might train our hearts and our bodies and our minds and our imaginations to see God, to be with God, and to look into God's future already achieved through Jesus. That our lives... And our world might be transformed together. We thank you for doing this. We thank you for all your gifts. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.